All right, well, we will be continuing today in our study, walking through the book, The Sabbath as Rest and Hope for the People of God. The author is Guy Prentice Waters, and today we're in chapter four of the book. This has been a study on a biblical theology of the Sabbath, which has been very, uh, very good, uh, very edifying uh, in the chapters that we've covered so far. And in today's chapter, uh, I believe you'll find the same. It's a very helpful and edifying book on a very important topic um, in the lives of Christians, the Sabbath. In our previous lessons, we've looked at what Scripture teaches about the Sabbath and its purpose for the lives in God's people. Uh, We've seen that the Sabbath was a creation ordinance, that after God created all things in six days, that he rested on the seventh day and blessed that day and made it holy, setting it apart as a day of restful worship of God and communion with him. Then we looked at God's dealings with the people of Israel in chapter 2, particularly we were focused on the teachings in the law and and the Pentateuch. And we saw that in the giving of the Ten Commandments, that God reaffirmed the Sabbath day as a creation ordinance. And he confirmed the requirement to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This was part of God's moral law as given by the Ten Commandments, or given in the Ten Commandments. Then we further discussed in that chapter how the Sabbath served as a reminder. It served as a reminder to Israel that God was both their creator and their redeemer. It was to serve as a reminder that he had created them and blessed them by bringing them into this intimate fellowship and communion with him. This was to be enjoyed every day, but especially commemorated on the weekly Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath day also served as a reminder that God was their Redeemer God, who had delivered them out of the land of Egypt, delivered them out of slavery. Then in the next chapter, we looked at the prophets. The, in the prophets, we discussed how faithful keeping of the Sabbath is critical to walking rightly with the Lord. We saw that sinfulness and idolatry of the people of Israel led, that led to their judgment was consistently accompanied by or even signaled by their abandonment of the Sabbath, by their failure to keep the Sabbath. And then we also saw prophecies that God's people who would ultimately be redeemed by that coming servant and uh, that those redeemed people would be characterized by righteous living, which would include the keeping of the Sabbath. Righteous living and keeping of the Sabbath throughout the prophets are assumed to go hand in hand. You don't have one without the other. And so now we get to chapter 4. And here we have come to the New Testament. In particular, we'll be looking at the gospel accounts, in today's study, and we'll focus on what we can learn about the meaning of the Sabbath from our Lord Jesus Christ, and how he observed the Sabbath, and how he talked about the Sabbath. Uh, At the beginning of the chapter, the author spends a bit of time helping set the scene for what is going to be covered 
in chapter 4 and distinguishing that from what's going to come later. So he lays out a few points for us to keep in mind as we interact with the text. First, he makes the point that while the Gospels were written after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the majority of the events described in the Gospels, including everything that we're going to look at today, take place prior to Jesus' resurrection. Now, this is an obvious point for anyone familiar with the Gospel accounts, but why is it important? Well, it's important because of the next point that he makes, and that is that the New Covenant is established by Jesus' death and resurrection. And so it is not until Jesus is resurrected from the dead that the New Covenant formally begins to take effect. This means that the period of history uh, documented in the Gospels prior to Jesus' resurrection falls properly under the Mosaic Covenant. Thus, the ministry of Jesus takes us to the close of the Mosaic Covenant, even as it prepares us for the dawn of the New Covenant. Our current chapter focuses on what the Gospels tell us about the Sabbath prior to Jesus' resurrection. The next chapter that we'll cover in our next study will turn to look at the New Testament's testimony to the Sabbath both at and after his resurrection. So today we're focused on Jesus' life and ministry prior to his death and resurrection. But since we've established that the Mosaic Covenant was still active and binding upon the people of Israel during Jesus' earthly ministry, we're not surprised in what we look at today to find that Jesus in the Gospel accounts is acting in accordance with the laws given in the Mosaic Covenant. He's uh, following the laws given in that covenant, including the various, um, or observing the various ceremonies that were part of the Jewish religious calendar, not the least of which was the weekly Sabbath. That's something we'll see in our lesson today as we look at Jesus's interactions with the Sabbath, particularly as a Jew in the first century and part of the community of God's people who were under the Mosaic Covenant. And as we look at a number of texts from the Gospels, what we'll see is that our Lord Jesus Christ identifies a number of ways in which the Sabbath has its full meaning in relation to his person and his work. As we read his words, we'll find numerous ways in which the Sabbath has its full meaning in relation to his person and his work in redeeming his elect. So we'll start with a number of examples from the Synoptic Gospels that show Jesus interacting with the Sabbath and with others on the Sabbath. Then toward the end of our study, we'll touch briefly on a couple of examples from the Gospel of John. The first text that we'll look at today comes from the Gospel of Luke. So... Uh, If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 and follow along, uh, we'll read from verses 16 to 21. And there in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, we find Jesus at the outset of his earthly ministry. And he's giving a sermon in a synagogue service on the Sabbath day. In this passage, we read that Jesus was regularly... um, participating, or we see that he was regularly participating in the gathered worship 
of the people of God on the Sabbath day. And as we go through more passages, you'll see that recurring theme. Jesus is continually seen on the Sabbath day with the gathered people of God, worshiping in the synagogue, often teaching in the synagogue. But looking at this first passage in Luke chapter 4, we read, starting in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, here in this example that we see, Jesus reads from Isaiah chapter 61, the first couple of verses of that chapter. And then he proceeds to exposit that text by applying it to himself. Jesus identifies himself as, the, uh, as being anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus proclaims the good news, the gospel of salvation by grace through faith, to poor sinners. He also proclaims a recovering of sight to the blind, a spiritual restoration of his people, enabling them to see him as their Savior. It's important that we see Jesus making these points at the outset of his ministry on the Sabbath day. Also, importantly, Jesus sets his people free from slavery to sin and death. He was sent by God to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This year of the Lord's favor that he, uh, or that Isaiah talks about here, is a reference to the Jubilee year, when under the Mosaic law, liberty was to be proclaimed to all the inhabitants of the land, and also those who had entered into slavery were, be, were to be set free. Jesus is now proclaiming freedom from slavery not to man, but to sin. Jesus is setting his people free from bondage to sin and death and granting them life through repentance and faith in him. But also, don't miss the connection here with the Sabbath. If you recall back a few Sundays ago, I mentioned this briefly uh, in the introduction here, but if you recall from a few Sundays ago when we were walking through the law, um, we observed that the Sabbath was given to the people of Israel as a reminder that the Lord had delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. At that time, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. When Israel commemorated the Sabbath, the people were to remember that God was both their creator and redeemer, 
bringing them out of Egypt and setting them free from slavery. This was one of the, the uses of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus, on the Sabbath day, in the synagogue, proclaims that he is the redeemer of his people, and he sets them at liberty. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And earlier in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The Sabbath as a reminder of God's redemption of his people from Egyptian slavery takes on an even greater significance here in the light of Christ coming as the redeemer of his people from spiritual slavery and death. Now the next few passages that we'll look at today deal with several miracles that Jesus performed on the Sabbath. Miracles were a part of Jesus' ministry on earth that confirmed his deity, that blessed his people, and pointed to the arrival of the kingdom of God. And in the cases that we'll look at specifically, these miracles served as portraits of Jesus' work in saving his people. They pointed to what Jesus was doing in his work of salvation. Each of the miracles we'll look at indicates an aspect of what Jesus does for his people in their salvation. And particularly, each of the miracles that we'll look at were performed on the Sabbath day. So first, in Mark chapter 1, we see a couple of examples of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Um, in chapter 1, verses 1 th 21 through 28, we read of Jesus on the Sabbath day, once again teaching in the synagogue, when a man with an unclean spirit cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, or unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. So here we see Jesus exercising his authority over all things, including unclean spirits. This is consistent with uh, John when he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In this passage, Matthew, we have a visceral picture of Jesus destroying the works of the devil and setting his people free from bondage. Then, immediately after this, Jesus leaves the synagogue and enters the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Here, he finds Simon's, Simon Peter's mother-in-law ill with a fever, and he heals her so that she has the strength to not only get up, but to serve everyone. In this example, we see Jesus reversing the effects of the fall and removing the illness from Peter's mother-in-law and restoring her to health so that she can serve him and others. We, in like fashion, through faith, are saved by Christ from the spiritual death caused by the fall and raised to a newness of life in which we devote ourselves to a, out of a love for and gratitude for Christ 
to serving him and serving his people. In redemption, Christ not only saves his people from, from something, but he saves them to something. Christians are saved from their sin, and they are saved to a life of walking in good works, which Christ has prepared for them beforehand, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2. Their lives are characterized by a growing in righteousness after the image of their Redeemer. Then in three other passages, we also see Jesus healing on the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, which we have here up on the slides, we read of Jesus healing a man with a withered hand, and knowing the Pharisees are watching him in hopes of accusing him of violating the Sabbath, he says to them in verse 4, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus' ministry is about doing good and saving lives, and he demonstrates this in healing the man's hand. But take note of that. Jesus asked them specifically, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? In Luke 13, we have the example of Jesus once again teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, where he heals a woman with a disabling spirit who was bent over and could not stand up straight. She couldn't uh, straighten herself, is what it says in that passage. And after healing her, once again, the ruler of the synagogue, in this case, becomes indignant at Jesus' work of healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus lays into him in verses 15 and 16, uh, where Jesus says, Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? <clears throat> Jesus puts his adversaries to shame by pointing out that they would show greater care for their ox or donkey on the Sabbath than they would for this daughter of Abraham. Jesus, on the other hand, sets her free from bondage to this disabling spirit. So we see in these two last examples, Jesus gives life, and he sets his people free from their bondage. Then in Luke 14, we see Jesus on the Sabbath dining at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees when he see, heals a man with dropsy. In this instance, he says to the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He follows this up with a similar question to what he had asked in the previous chapter when he says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? So all of these examples we see of Jesus healing on the Sabbath they help us to see clearly several of the aspects of Jesus' redemptive work in the lives of his people. We see that Jesus provides life, health, and freedom in the salvation of his people. Again, Jesus reverses the effects of the fall in the redemption of his people. Now, as we've already seen in these passages... The Sabbath was an occasion for controversy between Jesus and the religious leadership of the day. 
In every instance, we see the religious leaders accusing Jesus of violating the Sabbath, and then Jesus clears himself of the charge completely, while also pointing to the real meaning and purpose of the Sabbath. So not only does he clear himself of their accusations, but he uses the opportunity to point to what the Sabbath is actually about. Now, one of the most illustrative examples that we have of this in Scripture is the account of Jesus and his disciples going through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples plucking grain for themselves and the encounter with uh, the religious leadership that, that is uh, generated by that event. That's recorded in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And then the parallel account is Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. We'll go ahead and read through Mark, uh, the, the passage of Mark. And then we'll also make a few comments about some things that we see in Matthew as well. But there's a lot here that we can take from Jesus' words regarding what the Sabbath truly is about and the, the corrections that he gives to um, the religious leadership. So let's go ahead and read from Mark, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the priest, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There are a number of things that we can learn looking at this particular account. The first is that Jesus does not argue with the Pharisees that the Sabbath ought to be observed. Jesus doesn't challenge them on the abiding uh, validity of the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. He implicitly concedes that point. What he does not concede is the claim that his disciples are in sin for what they've done. Rather, he defends them as guiltless and innocent in this regard. The point he makes is essentially that the command to keep the Sabbath as a holy day of rest does not override the positive aspect of the sixth commandment to preserve life. He uses the example of David and his men eating the bread of the presence when they were fleeing from Saul and were famished. In that example, David and his men were justified in violating the ceremonial law because they were seeking to preserve their lives. They needed something to eat, and that was the only option that they had before them. Jesus then gets to the heart of the matter, though, when he says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In this statement, Jesus affirms that the Sabbath was a creation ordinance made to be a blessing to man by bringing him into restful worship and of and communion with his God. 
the Sabbath was designed to promote human flourishing, both before and after the fall. Thus, the Pharisees' insistence that men ought to suffer in hunger on the Sabbath, rather than go out and pick grain to eat, stood in direct opposition to God's design and purpose for the Sabbath. Then, in case the Pharisees weren't already mad enough at what he'd said, Jesus closes with a statement that was sure to enrage them when he says, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Having affirmed the Sabbath as being part of God's creation, he now refers to himself as the Son of Man, as he was prone to do, and he says that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that he has authority over the Sabbath. Here we have one of Jesus' most explicit proclamations of his deity, which ultimately would drive the religious leaders to convict him of blasphemy and execute him by crucifixion. But Jesus here cannot but tell the truth. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he, not the Pharisees, nor anyone else, nor any other man, can say what is and is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, Matthew's parallel account of this event provides several additional comments from our Lord that are also instructive as to how we understand the Sabbath. He provides another justification for the actions of his disciples, Jesus does, in pointing out that the priests do work in the temple on the Sabbath, so by the Pharisees' logic, they also would be under condemnation for failing to keep the Sabbath. He says here um, in this parallel account, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So again, our Lord points out that it's not that there is no work to be done at all on the Sabbath. There is work going on um, on the Sabbath. Jesus also says that something greater than the temple is here, referring to himself, the Messiah, the God-man, who is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God and is going to build for himself a church, a holy and living temple to God that offers spiritual sacrifices to him. Jesus is purifying the worship of his people, including setting the record straight with regard to Sabbath worship. And lastly, we see Jesus saying to the Pharisees, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Here Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6.6, which reads, For I desire steadfast love, or mercy depending on the translation, and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus reminds them that God cares more about the condition of the heart than the external observance of the ceremonial law. The Pharisees have got it backwards. They are all about the external appearances to the neglect of the true inward religion that flows from a love for God and a love for his people. Jesus instructs them and us that love and mercy that walking in righteousness is of greater value than simple adherence to religious practices and ceremonies. It's not about the ceremony, it's about what's behind it. That's what truly matters. As we talked about last week, 
our worship of God is only as good as our love for him and subsequent obedience to his commandments. Our worship will always be affected by our heart condition. Jesus here, as we can see in this passage, is not abolishing or weakening the Sabbath. Far from it. But what he's doing is restoring the rightful meaning and observance of the Sabbath among a people whose leaders had fundamentally corrupted it. Now, lastly, as I mentioned before, we will turn from the Synoptic Gospels to the Gospel of John and look at two more passages where we see Jesus illuminating our understanding of the Sabbath and its purpose. The first one we look at is in John chapter 5, and there we read the story of Jesus healing a paralytic, uh, and particularly that's in John chapter 5, uh, going through verse 47. But what we see in verses 1 through 18 of that passage uh, is that Jesus is accused by, of breaking the Sabbath, once again, because he healed a paralyzed man on that day. And Jesus responds by making himself equal with God when he says in verse 17, My father is working until now, and I am working. Which enrages the Jewish leadership. Now, in this statement, my father is working until now, and I am working, one of the things Jesus is communicating there is that even though God rested on the seventh day and instituted the Sabbath, the command to rest on the Sabbath does not mean doing nothing at all, but rather doing the work of God. Now, God may have rested on the seventh day, but he's still working providentially in all things. Similarly, his people on the Sabbath are to perform works of worshiping God and caring for one another, and in doing so, fulfill the commandments to love God and to love their neighbor. Then later, in chapter 7, in verses 22 to 23, we find Jesus defending this work of healing of this paralytic that he had performed back in chapter 5. And he does so by pointing out his that his opponents circumcise a man on the Sabbath, and if his opponents can administer an outward sign that points to the greater reality of spiritual healing and restoration, then why can't Jesus actually provide that spiritual healing and restoration? His opponents are exposed as hypocrites who are more concerned about the outward sign than the inward reality. Then further, in John chapter 9, in that passage, it covers the span of verses 1 through 41. Um, we read the story of Jesus healing a man born blind. It's a uh, passage that's probably familiar to, to many of you. There, when the Pharisees find out about this healing, they declare in verse 16, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Again, they are accusing him of sin and of not being from God because he's healing someone on the Sabbath. However, here we see a progression of statements from the man who was healed, the man who was blind previously, and who has his sight restored, 
we see a progression of statements from him about who Jesus is. And so the first one we see in verse 17, when asked um, by the Pharisees who Jesus is, uh, we read in verse 17, So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And there he says, He is a prophet. He says that Jesus is a prophet. Then later, as the story continues to unfold, we read that he professes Jesus as being from God in verse 33. And when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man in verse 35, the man affirms this and then says, it ultimately says, Lord, I believe and worships Jesus in verse 38. This blind man had not only received his physical sight, but also his spiritual sight. He came to understand that Jesus is Lord, and he worshipped him accordingly. The Pharisees' criticism of Jesus as a Sabbath breaker betrays their own spiritual blindness. And the irony is that in restoring the blind man's eyesight and giving him spiritual sight, to see and accept Jesus as Lord and to worship him, Jesus has accomplished the actual purpose of the Sabbath, and that is to restore God's people to fellowship with their God and worship of their God, their creator and their redeemer. The Sabbath is about resting and worshiping the Lord, our creator and redeemer. Jesus changed this man so that he he now was able to rightly observe the Sabbath and worship the Son of Man standing before him. Saints, this is what Jesus does for all who believe upon him, for all who trust wholly in him for salvation from sin, who repent of their sin and turn to God in faith. Whoever comes to him in faith, he will in no way cast out. And in redeeming his people, he gives them rest from self-righteous works and blesses them with his own righteousness so that they can have peace with God. He makes them able to observe the Sabbath rightly, resting and worshiping the Lord, enjoying that blessing every one day in seven as the Lord established in creation. Beloved, all of these blessings are offered to us in Christ. Let us, not take let us not fail to take hold of them and to cherish these gifts. As our Lord Jesus himself has said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let us live as those who were once blind, but now see, who once were enslaved, but have been set free. And let us rejoice in the Lord's favor, resting and worshiping him on this Sabbath day, as it is our precious privilege to do.